0: dismiss our children to go to children's church children you can head towards the back back there and uh, all of those of you that are staying in here with us i invite you to look with me uh, in luke open your bibles to uh, the gospel of luke chapter 10 this morning we'll be looking there as we continue the series that we began Last week, uh, we began a new series, for those of you that were with us, you remember, on relationships. This week, we're going to continue that. That'll be for several weeks uh, through January and into February. As we look at uh, really what the Scriptures tell us, how the Scriptures dictate how we interact with other people. And so, we're looking these first few weeks at some kind of overarching themes Last week we spent time looking at what I have, at least in my mind, uh, rephrased as the golden rule. The golden rule for me is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus said that is the first and greatest commandment. And so I trust that that is the golden rule. And then the one that we typically refer to as the golden rule that we would do unto others as we'd have them do unto us, or as Jesus said it there in Matthew, he said uh, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. He said that's the second greatest commandment. So we looked at those last week, we spent the majority of our time on that idea of, of loving God. If we love God with everything that we are and with everything that we have, we said that will then overflow into our relationships with other people. Jesus showed us that. Jesus taught us that. Those that were here Wednesday night, we looked at that some more. Tonight, or today, we're going to spend time looking at that second one more. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? How can I, if any of you find yourself here this morning, and you know you should do that, and you recognize it's important, but you think, I'm not great at that. How can I be better about that? Well, Jesus gives us some clear teaching about that in Luke chapter 10. And then after this, we'll go into some weeks where we'll look at specific relationships. The Bible tells us, if you are a husband or wife, how to interact with your spouse. The Bible tells us, if you are a child or a parent, how to interact with your family. The Bible tells us, if you are a business owner or if you are a worker for somebody, how to interact in those relationships. If you're a Christian, how to interact with other Christians. If somebody sins against you, how to deal with that and so we'll look at all of those together as well that'll be part of this series but this morning as we kind of pull out more Jesus last week we saw him saying love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind we saw him saying love your neighbor as yourself and tonight today we're going to look I don't know why I want to call it tonight so much today we're going to see where Jesus extrapolates on that even more in Luke chapter 10 so look with me In Luke 10, I I briefly mentioned this last week, but we're going to go deep into this text today. Beginning in verse 25 of Luke 10, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So we see here a very similar start to last week. Jesus is being questioned by someone. This time it's a lawyer. And this, quest, this lawyer is, is seeking to understand what he needs to do to make sure to be certain that he will have eternal life. And so Jesus asks him, well, what do you think you have to do? What, what do you think the Bible says that you're supposed to do? And so the man answers correctly, and he gives that first and second greatest commandment that Jesus gave. He puts them together, but he says that you should love the Lord and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus agrees with him, yes, that is correct. And then the man goes a little bit further, and he asks a follow-up question. And this is really where we're going to spend our time today. The man asks, who is my neighbor? And I think it's an important thing for us to reflect on. Now, a lot of you have heard this story throughout your life. You may be familiar with uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But this morning, what I pray that we're able to do is to not just hear it, not just see it again, but to see it in a different way, as I read this week, and as I studied this week, I was, I'm thankful for uh, a text that I was reading, a, a, a commentary about it that challenged me to see this text from a different perspective than I've ever seen it before. And so I pray that it'll be useful to you, as it's been very useful to me, I've already been able to put this into practice this week and plan to continue for the rest of my life. So look with me as Jesus gives the answer, the man says, who is my neighbor? And to answer him, Jesus speaks a parable, and it begins in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here we see, again, a parable that I think most of you have probably heard at least parts of it if you haven't read it or heard it taught before. Uh, This is a parable and a story that goes back so long and that is so formative that there is a such thing as the Good Samaritan Law. Many of you have probably heard of it. I looked this week. All 50 states have some version of the Good Samaritan Law because this story is so widely known and so formative in our understanding of how to treat other people. The Good Samaritan Law helps to protect people from legal repercussion if you are, not through gross negligence but through simple negligence, trying to help someone that is in a bad spot and you end up hurting them on accident. If you do that but your intention was good and it's clear that your intention was good, and gross negligence can't be proved, that you are protected legally. Now, that's different state to state, so don't try and quote me in, law, in court if you ever go. But this idea is widely known even by unbelievers, the Good Samaritan, the parable, the story, the teaching of the Good Samaritan. So I'll tell you this. I have always, and I'm challenged by this more and more, to recognize how my living... In the, the 21st century in America, in the place that I live, in the way that I live, how it shapes my thinking. And I believe that I've seen this again this week. Whenever I see this story, whenever I'm reading this parable, I'm, I'd be interested to know how you see it. But whenever I'm reading this parable, I picture it as if I'm watching a movie. So I'm kind of, I see it playing out, and I can see the priest walking down the road, and I can see the man lying over there on the ditch, and it's like there's, like the teaching here is narration. And I think that's likely because that's how I see a lot of things, right? Whenever I see a lot of things that I'm not part of, a story being told, I'm watching it on television, I'm watching a movie, and so I see this the way that I see a lot of things. I think that probably this lawyer and the people that were standing there listening to Jesus didn't see it that way, because they haven't trained their mind as if they're a third party looking in on something. And some of you probably as well have maybe imagined, maybe like you were the priest, or you were the Levite, or you were the Samaritan, and maybe you picture yourself walking down the road and you look over but however you see it this is what we see playing out the man who was headed down the road and he gets attacked no fault of his own Uh, they strip him they take his clothes they take all of his money they take everything that he has they beat him Jesus gives us great detail about this. He even says that they left him half dead. So the man's laying beside the road. He's naked. He is bleeding. He is wounded. He's in terrible shape. He's broke. He has nothing to offer. And then here comes this priest. So for them, again, the context is different. You'd have to imagine they think this is the best case scenario. They say, hey, you've been beaten. You're laying beside the road. Who do you want to come down the road? They'd probably say, I'd like a priest to come down the road. Because a priest, for them, I would venture to say, is the highest-ranking official in their religious life. So the priests, we have talked about a few weeks ago, they're the mediators. They go between God and man. They speak for God to people, and they they make sacrifices for people to God. And so the way that they looked at a priest would be similar to the way that you look at me as a pastor, only higher. They would have looked at a priest as being even higher-ranking than you would look at me as a pastor. And so the priest's coming down the road, but the priest doesn't stop and help the man. The priest doesn't even simply walk by. He swaps lanes to go on the other side to completely avoid being near this man that's in need of help. And then the Levite, we see the same thing. Jesus clearly picked these men in this example on purpose. The Levite is kind of like, for our intense, all intents and purposes, how we'd understand it, almost like an associate pastor. So Levites were the second highest ranking of religious officials. They worked at the temple, and they assisted priests, but they weren't priests. But they were really highly regarded in this day and time. And so the Levites coming along, well, maybe this guy will do something. He does the same thing. He swaps lanes, and he goes by on the other side. It appears that this priest and this Levite who would have known this teaching who would have known that it was important to love your neighbor as yourself, apparently thought, that man is not my neighbor. Because not that they didn't know the teaching, and so some way in their mind they're justifying not stopping to help this man. So apparently, you know, you can come up with a lot of reasons that they just passed by, and a lot of reasons, and you can come up with religious reasons, and I've heard all of them, why they swapped to the other side of the road. I can tell you this, there are no good reasons. Right. There are lots of different reasons that you can lay out and spell out for why these men would have avoided the summer, or the man that's laying over here on the side of the road. But there are no good reasons for why they would do it. And this is the point, as I think about these men saying, well, that's not my neighbor, so I don't have to help him. that's the point this week that I was challenged to have a different perspective. Again, I've always pictured this story as if I'm a third party outside just watching it like a movie. Some of you may have thought of yourself as the priest or the Levite, and you've seen yourself as the one in what I would refer to as the position of power, right? The stronger position. You are in a place of safety and security, and you're looking at somebody that's in need of help. And a lot of times we look at life from that position because, of course, We always like to be the person in power. We always like to be the person of strength, the person of stability. But this week I read this. John Nolan is a man who wrote a commentary on the book of Luke. And this is what he said. He said, it is from the perspective of the ditch where one lies helpless and battered and in desperate need of help that one should reflect upon the question, who is my neighbor? And so all of a sudden this week, I start to try and change my mindset and and change the way that I'm looking at this story. And so I'm not a third party bystander. I'm not the priest. I'm not the Levite. I'm not the good Samaritan. If I'm the man laying in the ditch, I've been beaten, I've been robbed, I am I'm monetarily broke because they took all my money, and I'm physically broken because they beat me half to death, and I'm laying here in the ditch, and I see this priest walking by, and I see this Levite walking by, I see this Samaritan. Am I going to think, yes, that's my neighbor. That's someone that should offer me help. And then I think even further. I say, okay, if the person laying there in the ditch is one of my sons, one of my daughters, Or is my wife? Or is my mom or dad? Now all of a sudden, would I want these men to be their neighbor or not? And when I think about it from that perspective, obviously it's an easy answer, isn't it? Whenever I think about it from the perspective of the man, as Nolan says, in the ditch on the side of the road, laying there hurting, all of a sudden these men don't look as much like strangers as they look like possible neighbors that could stop and help. And so point one this morning is this. Life looks different from the ditch. And I pray that the Lord helps to ingrain this in our minds today because a lot of you sitting in here this morning are not in the ditch. Praise the Lord. You're not on the roadside. You are at a place where things are going pretty well in life. Your job is good. Your family is well Um, things are in a good place. You are the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. You're in the place of power. You're in the place of security. You're in the place where you would like to be. And so sometimes when we're there, we can look at needy people as almost a burden, as almost a bother, as apparently this priest... And this Levi did. But if any of you are sitting here this morning and you are the person in the ditch because of something that's happened to you or something that's happened to your family or something that's happened at work, because of some unexpected something or some expected something, but you are hurting emotionally or mentally or physically or spiritually, and you feel like you are just in need. You're in need of of wisdom you're in need of guidance, you're in need of assistance, you're in need of, the word that Jesus is going to use in just a minute, compassion. If you're there, or if you've been there recently, or if you find yourself there soon, it's a lot easier to answer the question that this lawyer asks. Who is my neighbor? It's a lot easier to answer that question when you're in that place than it is when you're in the place of power and security. Because when you're in the ditch, when your loved one is in the ditch, you want anyone to be your neighbor. When you are in a place of hurting, you just want everyone to be your neighbor. And this mindset, I trust that what Nolan is doing here is he's not giving us something that he just thinks... Uh, is different right let me just give you some different perspective you've heard this text before let me try and find some new way to look at it. that's not what he's doing it's what jesus has called us to do in it, the the text whenever he's answering when the lawyer's answering the question at the beginning and jesus says what do you have to do in t- to inherit eternal life he says you love the lord And in the end of verse 27 he says and your neighbor as yourself Literally, you imagine, you are interacting with somebody, you imagine, if I was them, what would I want me to do? And that's what you do. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You walk a mile in their shoes mentally. You put yourself in their position, and you think, well, if I was them, what would I want me to do? And then Jesus says, do that, whatever that is. Try to take on that. Perspective, And so I've tried to change my perspective on how I deal with people that are in, in different places than I am, because there are some of you and some people that I know and friends that you have and friends that I have and family members whose life has been torn apart by addiction. All sorts of addictions to all sorts of things that have continued to wear on them and have just left them to the point where they are half dead. Now, most of those addicts will tell you it's different than this man here. It's not through no fault of their own. They understand that. But here's the thing that I think that Jesus calls us to do differently here. It's to not look at them and say, what do I think they need? But put yourself in their position and say, if I was them, what would I want me to do? Not just addiction, there are people that that their life is ravished by debt. Thank the Lord. I do thank the Lord because it's not something I did on my own. It's not something I've had to deal with much. I had uh, a group, I had parents and a family that paid for my school when I was going through school. They bought my first vehicle for me. not having to pay back school loans. I'm not having to deal with a lot of those things. It's a blessing that I couldn't have done on my own. But I understand that there are people, not through their own choice, but through the light and life that they have, through the providence of God where they are, they don't have the same blessings. They don't have the same story, the same testimony. And so when we look at people who don't have all the things that we have because they have debt, Because they have issues that they're dealing with there. Because they don't have the same education level. Because they don't know the same people and have the same connections. How do we look at them? Do we look at them like, well, you should have done what I'm doing. Or do we look at them and say, if I were there, what would I want me to do? Thankfully, I have a spouse, Amanda, that loves me dearly. And that loves our kids and that helps raise our kids. I know there are a lot of people that are not there. Their spouse has left them. And they're trying to raise a family on their own. And it's a much different place than I am. And, and we can go on and on and on. We can talk about health and we can talk about jobs and we can, talk about, we can talk about all these things. Here's what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. There are a lot of people in your life and in my life that are in the ditch. For one reason or another, that's Nolan's words, they're on the roadside, they're hurting Their life doesn't look exactly like our life does. And it's easy as the priest or the Levite say, I'm swapping lanes because I don't have time for that. But what Jesus says is instead of saying that, say, if I was there, what do I want me to do? And when you answer that question, do that. Be that sort of neighbor for that person. Go to them. And help them, which is exactly the picture he gives us in this story. Look with me in verse 33. He says, but a Samaritan. Now, stop right there for just a moment. A little bit of context. If you're not familiar with it, the man, if he's passing from Jerusalem to Jericho, is likely a Jew. So the man laying on the side of the road is likely a Jewish man. Jewish lawyers asking this question. Jesus is giving the context. So that man, he's a Jew. The priest is his brother priest is his neighbor the levite is his brother the levite is his neighbor the samaritan for all intents and purposes he would say is not my neighbor i'm not like him he's not like me we don't live in the same place we don't run in the same circles we don't do the same things samaritans were seen as so much below jews that if they ate with the samaritan it was seen as the same thing as them eating pork it was forbidden it would make them unclean could not stand samaritan so when jesus says A priest is walking down the road, a Levite's walking down the road, and a Samaritan's walking down the road. Y'all heard this one before? And Jesus says, who do you think stopped to help? They'd say, well, I pray it wasn't the Samaritan because I wouldn't want him to touch me. Can't stand a Samaritan. Probably how they would answer. But life's different when you're laying in the ditch. In verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him does the most beautiful thing. The Samaritan, who you would never think would have any dealing with Jews, because, just think about this for a moment, if Jews talked about Samaritans like that, do you think Samaritans saw themselves as friends of the Jews? you think that maybe he'd walk by and see that Jew's laying there, beaten and half dead, and say, he got what he deserves. It's what they get for thinking they're better than us. But that's not what the Samaritan does. And the word that Jesus uses in verse 33 is so important for us. He says that he had compassion. What does this word mean? It's very similar to the biblical word for mercy. It means that he was moved from the inside. He saw somebody else's position. He saw where they were. And he was moved from the inside to go to that person and try and bring them relief. That's what this word compassion means. what the word mercy, for most intents and purposes, means. I saw where you were. The Samaritan saw where this man was, and he was moved to go and help bring this man relief. That's what he does, and and he brings him relief in in a beautiful way, right? He bandages up his wounds. He puts oil and his own wine on them and takes care of them, and he doesn't just kind of help his wounds and then leave. No, he helps the wounds and puts them on his own animal and takes them, and then he gets he's out, right? He's out his own money, two denarii, that's two days' worth of salary that this man's paying for a stranger. He wasn't a stranger, he was a neighbor. Two days' worth of work that he gives to the innkeeper and says, and if he needs more than that, I'll pay you more when I come back. This man put himself out to help this person. If I was in the ditch, that's what I'd want him to do. If my son or daughter, mom or dad in the ditch, that's what I'd want him to do. Point two, we should have compassion on everyone. We should identify with their situation and be moved to help them. Whatever it is that they're dealing with, whatever it is that they're hurting, we should see them there and we should say, I don't want them to be there. I want to help move them from that place to a better place. Whether that's praying for them, whether that's going to them, whether that's putting ourselves out to help them like this man here did, it's helping our neighbors. And it's what Jesus calls us to do, not just here, not just in other texts that we've seen, but in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, just listen to this. It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful. Again, it's very closely akin to compassion. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And, of course, the greatest example that we have of this is Jesus. Right? He's not in heaven looking down at us saying, Oh, well, they should have made a better decision. Oh, well, they shouldn't have sinned. But we're told that, that Jesus looked at us and he had love for us. And he wanted to help move us from where we were, lost and helpless and hopeless, to a better place. From being separated from God to being reconciled to God. And the only way to do it was to intervene himself, to put himself out. In order to do it. And so he does. He leaves heaven and he comes to earth. It's the gospel message. He lives a perfect life. Even though people didn't recognize what he was doing. And he dies an atoning death where he takes the penalty for our sin. He didn't have to. But he was moved to have mercy and compassion on us. And it's the reason that we're sitting here and singing the songs that we've been singing today. I love the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. A text I reference a lot, that chapter. But verses 4 and 5 say this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See that picture. When we were dead, when we were lying, hurting, helpless, he came to us, and he offered us everything that we have. And so then, Jesus, the very end, I want to read these two verses to you, one again, one for the first time, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Right. The, the question is not hard to answer. Right? You hear the story Who do you think was a good neighbor to him? It's easy to answer that question. Of course it was a Samaritan, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, that's right, you go do the same thing. And that's point three. We are to mercifully love everyone. Brothers and sisters, we are called by Jesus to be the type of people that look at our neighbors, that look at our coworkers, that look at our friends, that look at our family members, that look at strangers that we meet, and we, we really contemplate the position that they're in. And we think about, if that was me, if one day I find myself there, what would I want me to do? We need to look at life through our neighbor's perspective. Because only then can we fulfill the teaching that Jesus gives us to love our neighbor as ourself. There's one specific area that I personally... Proved to be weak at this, that I think that many of you proved to be weak at this, and that I'm praying that the Lord will challenge us on one specific area. That I think that we are not good at looking from our neighbor's perspective, but looking from our perspective is in evangelism and missions, brothers and sisters. I think there are many times that we meet people, coworkers, friends, somebody that's on our kids' ball team, their parents. We meet folks all the time. And I think that a lot of times we trust through seeing their life, through hearing the way that they live, we think that person is probably lost. Or we just don't know. I have no idea if this person's lost or not. But we think because of our position, because we don't want to be seen as funny or strange or weird, because we don't want people to look at us, because we don't want to feel uncomfortable, we say, I'm not going to share the gospel with this person. I'm not going to tell this person about Jesus. And we just get in the other lane and we walk right past them. And there are times that I ask myself, if I were this waiter, right? I'm at a restaurant, I have a waiter, and I think about sharing the gospel with him. I think if I were this waiter and I knew that this man sitting here that I'm waiting on, that he knew the secret to life and death, to freedom and hope and peace and joy and eternal life, would I want him to share that with me? And the answer is always yes. Yeah, I'd want him to tell me. Right, if, if Chip is on somebody's baseball team, and if I'm coaching this man's son, and I know that this man knows all of these things that I need to know, would I want him to tell me? Yes, I'd want him to tell me, brothers and sisters. I'll just be honest with you, too many times I swap lanes and walk right on by. I think, I that will be such an inconvenience to them. They don't want to hear me talk about that. Or they wouldn't listen, or I don't have that much time to explain it. But when I look from their perspective, there's never a good reason. I tell you, there's no good reason for the priest to walk by. There's no good reason for the Levite to walk. There's ne- I never come up with a good reason. The only thing I ever come up with is, is Lord, I'm sorry. I failed. I think a lot of us are there. Brothers and sisters, we should be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because our, ne- our neighbors are hurting And they're hopeless and more than they need a bandage and more than they need oil and wine on their wounds. More than they need a night at the end, they need the gospel. They need to know about Jesus. They need to know about freedom. They need to know about hope and eternal life and love and compassion from a God who truly loves them. And who's going to tell them? That's our job. That's what we're called to do. It's not the only way that we're lacking, brothers and sisters. I've named several others today. There are a lot of people that we need to look at life from their perspective. And I trust that if we do, that we'll treat them differently. But the Lord is clear about this. If we love him, and I do love him, and I know that he loves me, if those things are true, then that love will overflow to other people. And so I'm asking him, as I try and draw closer to him, to the Lord, help me to do that better. I pray that you would pray that as well. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We're all going to have a hymn invitation. Seth, can we do Amazing Grace again? That would be okay. I really appreciate our praise team this morning. Um, Stepping in, we've had some illness in the church and music leadership and things in recent days that were unexpected. I appreciate their willingness to to serve and lead us and sing on short notice. But this morning, I challenge you, if you don't know the love of God, then you can't share that love with others. If you don't know it, come and ask me. Let me share with you about it. If you need to pray this morning, you pray. Ask the Lord for help where you are weak, strength where you are not strong, or if you're just thankful this morning that he saw us from the position of power and strength and security, but stepped down to bring us, to show us mercy and compassion and love and to bring us hope where we didn't have hope, then you just sing because this, this is true. The grace that we have received from God is amazing and it's something we should celebrate well. But you do whatever the Lord leads you to as the praise team leads us in the hymn of invitation.